Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bleep you. This is this is our way. Yes, loud. Stevens is pretty smart. And knows what he's doing. That 3 and D roll. Go oh, to D-League. If I had uh, Antoine Walker's body, I'd be an all-star. <laughs> hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of the Banners broadcast. Back from the new year, back from a two-week hiatus over here. The crew over at Celtics blog is still coming back from their Christmas dinners and their New Year's hangovers and everything else. So we're going to bring in some outside help today to help break down one of the most underwhelming big-time matchups of the NBA season. Thanks a lot to the Cavaliers. (laughs) Celtics, Cavaliers, ESPN, everybody clamoring for the Isaiah Thomas return. They shut him down. And then Stephen A. Smith's in the building, and we get one of the most underwhelming on-court products of the year. I mean, Sean Grandy came out of it saying that all the drama was left off the court. I don't even think there was drama off the court going into this one, and there was certainly not any on the court. So, with me today to break it all down, former friend of the Bobcast, now a friend of the (laughs) Banners broadcast as well, and uh, SB Nation cousin, I guess. Over at FearTheSword.com, Cavaliers writer and uh, incessant Twitter <laughs> troll, Irritant. Let's, let's go with that. Irritant. There we go. I don't like the word troll. Justin Rowan. There's his name. All right, Justin. So <laughs> you are a big proponent of this notion that really frustrates me, and I, may, I let it be known on Twitter all the time. You, Matt Moore, a number of other people in the uh, national scene or the Cavaliers scene, that this team, when stuff goes wrong when they take a 14-point loss like they did yesterday, that they're not trying, that LeBron's mailing it in, that the team is just coasting through the regular season. So just in the context of last night, 102-88, were they trying? (laughs) It's actually funny because your tweet, I mean, you know how Twitter goes. Um, you, You tweeted that out, and then it gets DM'd to me because that's the way group chats work and stuff like that. And... I had sympathy. Like, I, I ended up responding to you after, like, kind of expanding on my thoughts because I was like, you know what? I really get where you're coming from because 
Like, this is a blossoming rivalry in the NBA, obviously. Um, Kyrie going to Boston just kicked things up another gear. You have that whole dynamic with LeBron. Who knows if it's going to be a long-term rivalry because we don't know what LeBron's going to do. But when you're really, like, trying to build towards something, and and that's what the Celtics are doing, and you have so many young guys, and, and that growth is so important, to not have those measuring sticks it is frustrating, especially when people on the national scene aren't taking that seriously. It's funny because I, I don't want to take too, too much away from the game. I, I like that you called me a Twitter irritant, even if I was putting words in your mouth rather than troll, because I, I don't know if you picked up on it. I don't really hot take a whole lot. I, I don't go out there or, or say opinions that I don't think. I like to have a little bit of fun and, and get people going. But I'm not I, me if, anti-fun. Don't worry. That's my yeah. rule in life. I mean, I write over 30 articles a month when I go on Twitter. I'm not I'm not in constant analyze mode, but I, I wrote about this game and kind of the three takeaways. And I'd be interested to hear what you thought about it. The The first it's that the Celtics defense is for real. Oh, yeah. um, the Cavs in the regular season, they, they certainly have a, a switch. How much you want to buy into that is really at your discretion. And there, there are more questions this season than there have been in years past. Uh, Tristan Thompson's health has been a big concern. Obviously, we don't know what version of Isaiah Thomas you're going to get. Uh, J.R. Smith isn't the same player uh, he's been in years past. Uh, Jay Crowder is still trying to find his way with this team. So it's not like this is the same team as years past. But they still have that identity of coasting through games and kind of turning it up when they need to. And this Celtics defense is so good that you can't do that. You can't go 40, 50, 60 percent through a game and expect to be in range to make a run in the fourth quarter against this team. Um, They made things difficult for them. Uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, even though they weren't great offensively, were, were very stout defensively. And uh, like it's it's I think that's one of my biggest takeaways from this game is just that this Celtics defense is legitimate and they're not going to let you cruise to to a win or or to being in position to steal a game. You hit the nail on the head with that measuring stick point, because that is the frustrating point from our perspective is by all accounts, the Celtics are still chasing the Cavaliers. They're the standard of the Eastern Conference. LeBron has been to the finals every year since the Celtics have last gotten there, which is still mind-blowing. And <laughs> now the sides have switched. The teams are a lot different than they were last year. And you go into these meetings. Of course, the first one was ruined by the whole Gordon Hayward fiasco. And right. ever since, these teams have been on surges. The Celtics had their 16-game win streak. Cavaliers had a 10-plus game win streak. So these have been two teams that have been going at a strong pace to start this season, two of the top three teams in the East once again. And then you go into a matchup like a few nights ago. <laughs> There's only three of these all year. And to not be able to take something away from another one was frustrating from the Cavaliers' perspective. But there was a lot to take away independent of the Cavaliers about the Celtics. And one thing we know for sure is that LeBron James is fantastic this year was fantastic again last night, at least in the first half. And he is just going at a career pace right now. The assists, the rebounding, everything taken into account, the shooting. This has been one of his better years on record, which is amazing this deep into his career. 
last year, there were shooting struggles, there were inconsistency issues here and there, even a few like nagging injuries going through last season. This year, right. it has all gone well for him. And I want to call him an MVP candidate. He certainly is. I want to believe that he can win it because the numbers are astounding. But then right. you look at a night like last night, and I say, if that team just isn't trying, they're falling down to third in the East, maybe that's where they end up. It's a regular season award. So you can't have, on one hand, say the team is following his lead and posting, <laughs> and then say he's the most valuable player in the league. Of course, the numbers are staggering. Of course, they'd be nothing without him. But there's a discrepancy there, I feel like. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think he would be a front runner. And when you look at his offensive production, he's having, if not the best offensive season of his career, um, it, it's a right up there. Now, you counter that with, I still think, his year in Miami there, um, the, the the year that he basically appeared to solve basketball uh, was the better year because he, he was one of the best defensive players in the league, whereas now he's a below average defender. Um, and I, I know people believe that he can still kick it up. I think he's a good help defender, but on ball, he, he just isn't the same player. That center and, and, field role he loves there. Right, right. He, he's good at being a free safety, and that's part of the, the rationale behind uh, having Jay Crowder on this team. Um, but, yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, I think if he keeps up these numbers, uh, he's going to have a chance at MVP, but this team is going to need to actually produce in the regular season. Uh, when the Cavs were on that 14-game winning streak, I was kind of waving my arms a little bit, and I know Cavs Twitter got annoyed at it, that I was pointing out they haven't played, like, I think over that stretch, they played two offenses that were in the top 15 of the league. Mm -hmm. And their starters still were playing terrible defense. Uh, the, the bench was playing great defense, and that helped their overall numbers just because the bench plays so much. But I was like, this is going to, this is going to get them in trouble when they start playing real teams that, that can play offense. I, I think when Isaiah Thomas gets fully healthy, that's going to reduce the load a little bit for LeBron. Um, maybe he uh, helps Jay Crowder get going, although I think Crowder has been playing better, uh, at least defensively and with energy, than he has in the past. The shooting I, I never quite believed in. Uh, that's going to come, and I'm I'm fine with him being a streaky shooter as long as he is playing consistent defense. But, yeah, you're right. Nights like last night can't happen if he really does want to go for another MVP because so much about MVP is the narrative. And if you're not showing up for games against Boston, that's going to factor into people's minds. He has an opportunity with Harden being out. But, I mean, before the game, the, the Cavs were talking about how excited they were to, to go have a few days off in Florida. They're going to play in Orlando on Saturday. It's like this is just not the mindset that you need to have. And I don't know if there was some emotional letdown from the team being so happy and excited for Isaiah against Portland. Yeah, they were uh, good that game. Yeah, they, they looked good in that game, and they emotionally got up for it. Kevin Love obviously was, was a shell of himself. He was just a, yeah, a tire fire against Boston. Oh, and uh, I was happy to let everyone know it. <laughs> oh, yeah, man, yeah. Stink. Yeah, he he was. I, I mean, he was a bum, but like he 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 had he had the flu um, going into the game against Portland. He was questionable game time decision, and um, I, I think he with his body fighting whatever it's fighting, he just didn't bounce back from the the game the night before. So he was an absolute disaster. But 
the, the takeaways, really, as I said, it's Celtics defense is one of them. The, just how good Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are, um, I don't think you can really overstate that because young players, and I, I've always felt this way, young players suck in terms of overall impact most of the time. They can put up counting stats, but their overall impact just isn't there. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are just two guys that are so far ahead of the curve for where they're at in their development. It's a credit one to the scouting because those are picks that everyone questioned. Um, I wasn't against Brown getting drafted, but Jason Tatum, um, I I thought wasn't the the right direction. I would have gone with Josh Jackson just because I thought Tatum wasn't was going to take some time to develop that outside shot, and I didn't believe in him defensively. And his two strongest attributes this season have been his outside shot and his defense. So he's made a lot of people look wrong, and I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong. I am wrong countless times. Um, but the, the, the frustrating thing with Boston is that they have so many guys I enjoy between Kyrie Hayward, I wish was healthy, even though that would actually make me worried about a playoff series. Um, and Brown and Tatum, I, like those are guys that I genuinely enjoy watching. It's amazing without Hayward that we're even talking about this uh, comparison between these two teams to this point. Still, it really makes everybody in Boston, I feel like, hope that much more that Hayward's going to be able to get back to where he was. I, that's really going to be the key to them taking over the East for years to come, I believe. So these mm-hmm. two teams, we saw them last night. Uh, on our side, the Celtics side, people know what they've done. 16-game winning streak where they were just uncanny good defensively. 95 <laughs> defensive rating. Like Everything was perfect. They were coming back when they needed to. They were holding up. They were, they were rebounding. Oh, they were <laughs> rebounding at, at the highest rate possible. So they were not only defending at the highest rate possible, they were rebounding at the highest rate possible. Didn't sustain. Both of them went into the tank through that December stretch, the schedule, as we all heard about, <laughs> which is gone in a way now. So maybe, you know, I, I didn't like hearing about that, but maybe it was a bigger factor than I gave it credit for as we see them now. But Shout uh, out to Mannix. Yeah. So those two things have gone that well. Yeah, shout out to Mannix. <laughs> I've been getting drilled on that post-game show the last month. <laughs> Some haters of Shane Larkin out there. Check this out. Check out this tweet right here we're going to get to. You see at the top, Bobby Manning says, Shane Larkin, a game of minus 13, wouldn't go back to him in the second half. Who responds after the game? 11-19 timestamp, plus 13 second half. Keep the faith, Wait, fella. Wait, he doesn't tag Shane Larkin, though, so how does Shane Larkin oh, see Oh, why you got to do that? Anyway, <laughs> uh, so that's what's been going on with the Celtics. They have great performances, 88 points against the uh, Cavaliers and Warriors. They've taken down the Spurs. They've taken down the uh, other big team out there. I can't think of them right now. Houston? Houston. Yes, there we go. <laughs> the, the meltdown game. <laughs> yeah. So that's what's been going on in Celtics land. Between opening night and now, what have you learned about this Cavaliers squad overall? I know Jay Crowder has struggled immensely, which has surprised yeah. me in that environment. Uh, the bench has come and gone. We've seen Derrick Rose go from being starter to just rip jeans on the bench. Uh, so what, what's going on in Cleveland land that we should know more about outside of last night? Um, well, I think one of the important storylines for the Cavs, I, I mean, their bench has probably been the most productive bench in the league. And I think a lot of that credit needs to go to Dwayne Wade coming in when he got signed. 
I, I had written that his most valuable contribution and his the area where his skill set hasn't really diminished is his ability as a playmaker. But I didn't know necessarily if he was willing to accept that role. And I think Tyron Lue played it very well that he allowed him the opportunity to start, even though he had voiced his concern. And then right off the bat, after a couple of games, Wade is like, okay, I, I see what you're saying, coach. I appreciate you giving me that respect. I'm now going to play the role you want me to play. Um, so I, I think that's been a really big development. The, the issues with the bench when they aren't, playing well is when they're not playing hard because Jeff Green has played well because they've simplified his game. He's catching and shooting from three, not a lot of shots off the dribble, and he's catching the ball, cutting to the basket where it's go up and dunk. So it's it's a very simplified and refined role, and no one's imagining Jeff Green as um, a, a new player or anything like that. But when you put him in a system and a situation to excel, he can be productive. Do you think and, he could end up being part of that big five lineup when it comes down to crunch time in the playoffs? Potentially. There is the potential for that, especially just because uh, Tyron Lue has trusted him in those situations. But when the bench isn't moving and things get stagnant and and there's a a game where there just isn't the proper energy, that's when things become bogged down. It's it's when Dwayne Wade all of a sudden goes into isolation basketball. Kyle Korver can't get open on screens. Jeff Green isn't getting those same easy cuts. That's a lineup that needs to play with pace. I still believe Tristan Thompson, um, as he's starting to get healthy and he's looked a lot better this past week, last three games, he should be starting for this team. I I think their starting lineup had worked so well in the past um, with Kyrie, Jr. LeBron, Love, and Thompson. I think Isaiah in that same role can replicate a lot of that stuff. And I think Isaiah having a, a pick-and-roll threat is actually going to be interesting. That's a type of player he hasn't played a whole lot with in his career. Um, but they just need it for the defense, uh, especially with Isaiah inserted into that lineup. Uh, you, you need the team's best defender out there. And I really think Jay Crowder playing with more ball movement and more pace with that second unit can really help get him going offensively. Obviously you're going to stagger throughout the course of the game and it's not like hockey where you're doing line shifts. Um, but I, I think that would be one of the moves that the, the team needs to do moving forward. Assuming Thompson can return to form full time. Well, we got the snow blowers blaring in the background, tons of snow in Boston. <laughs> That's why we're doing the show tonight. We're just completely trapped in here for uh, tonight at least. Uh, I, I'm hearing up in Canada, colder there than uh, Mars. That was a headline I read for real. Uh, yeah, once again, Winnipeg is colder than Mars. It's colder than both of the poles. Um, I'm I'm absolutely thrilled about it. Um, if we're talking Boston and cold and hockey, shout out to uh, Charlie Mac, uh, McAvoy there. He's uh, doing really good yeah. for my fantasy team. That that was my sleeper pick of the year, and I was thrilled about it. <laughs> Quietly, the Bruins might be a better story in Boston this year than the Celtics. And luckily, we got that over <laughs> at uh, CLNS. Our hockey coverage is ramped up big time over there. CLNS media.com 
for everyone. I, I just I just traded for uh, pasta in my league too, so I'm all I'm I'm filling up on that. I'm ready to get locked back in. That that team is a <laughs> lot of fun in the city when they're doing good, and we just got so worn out by two years of terrible nonsense and coach firing and everything else going wrong there already. That's our only share of bad ownership too in the city, so we have to deal with that too. But uh, hey, bad ownership can be fun, man. <laughs> yeah, as you it know, keeps things interesting. As it's you know, uh, very well. Uh, so speaking of uh, bad ownership, bad offseason management, we uh, got a taste for the Kyrie Irving drama once again from Jackie McMullen, an amazing piece. Definitely one of the better pieces I've read all last year. Drawing lines between Kyrie moving high schools back in that day to get a bigger challenge for himself, now moving from the Cavaliers to the Celtics to get a bigger challenge for himself. Still something that blew your mind, I'm sure, and my mind as well last season is that he ended up switching places, not only out of Cleveland, but from Cleveland to Boston. And yeah, the, the, our, our hypotheticals came true. <laughs> All our arguing of wh- what they would look like in uh, if they switch roles. <laughs> we, we're getting that opportunity finally. I know, and now that Isaiah's back, we're going to see that in full force. We know me and you have been going back and forth about how important Isaiah can be to Cleveland, but we're going to get to that in yeah. just a sec. What did you think about it? Did you get to read that McMullen piece? And what do you think about some of the tidbits in there? Irving and LeBron's relationship, uh, Lou and Irving's relationship as well, what his role with the team should be, him talking about what number 23 needs to do versus what he needs to do. It's a weird. Uh, it's a, just a weird situation as a whole. I don't even know the He's right He's a weird guy. It. Yeah. He's yeah. a weird guy. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I really thought the piece was great. I think Jackie McMullen's one of the most talented storytellers that we have. Um, and it is just a treat to read, uh, even if it is a, a very, very long read. Um, I, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you got the opportunity. I'm going to plug uh, the network there. Uh, if you listen to the Basketball Friends, they had um, David Griffin on basically the well yesterday, so right after the the piece had dropped, mm-hmm. uh, so it was very fortunate timing there, and he really provided a lot of interesting insight. Um, I think it w- was great that Kyrie got his side out because I think a lot of the narrative and the, the reporting was really controlled by Rich Paul, and that was a lot of the uh, anti-Kyrie narrative uh, was driven by that. Griffin had made some interesting points in, in regards to the practice thing about Kyrie saying that, oh, that's 23's job. Yeah. Uh, he said that um, when it happened, because, I, I mean, they're obviously very aware of it as it happened. He said, obviously, Kyrie was being a smart ass. He was being a wise ass. And as the piece illustrated, he did apologize for it later, but that was the relationship he had with Phil Handy. Um, Phil Handy was responsible for um, mentoring Kyrie, helping him grow into a man during his time with the Cavaliers and, and was responsible for a lot of his personal growth there. And obviously there, there were issues uh, along the way of Kyrie trying to, to refine his game and um, blossom into the player he knows that he can be. And there were obviously frustrations. I mean, no matter how talented you are as a point guard, LeBron is, if not the best player in the league, he, he's certainly in the top three. Um, so he wants the ball in his hands and he's uncompromising in that way. And I, I think that had weighed on Kyrie. And as Griffin indicated, throughout the second half of the season, 
this was something that was on their radar. They they could tell that Kyrie was sacrificing for the team. Um, to his credit, he still played tremendously in the finals and, and down the stretch last season. But his growth had been stifled to, to some extent there and would continue to be with LeBron. And David Griffin had tried to meet with Kyrie and his agent prior to the draft to, to find out where they're at. And they wouldn't do that without Griffin uh, being signed as the GM moving forward. If they didn't know if whether or not he's going to stay, they weren't going to give an opinion. Uh, so they refused to meet with Griffin. And as a result of that, he explored trade options. He, he explored trade options and basically went to Dan Gilbert saying, Kyrie's not talking to me right now. If he wants to leave, here's one direction I recommend going. Here are the trades I have in place. And, they, and if they were he close wants to, to the Phoenix, weren't they? There was something right. that works there. Right. They, they were going to get uh, both Paul George and Eric Bledsoe. Um, was what basically they get the number four pick from Phoenix as well as Bledsoe and flip that to Indiana for Paul George, which I mean in a vacuum like that. That's a trade that you'd want to explore. But he basically had the options laid out of. If he wants to stay, keep him, or we're going to keep Kyrie, we'll keep building and try to change things up and um, make things easier for him. If he wants to leave, here are recommendations that I have. And obviously, Dan Gilbert and the Cavs being what they are, um, David Griffin was not retained. Uh, there was no opportunity for that situation to smooth over. I think Kyrie would have wanted to leave even with Griffin, but that's someone that he's very close with and someone he had a relationship with. I don't think things would have been leaked out the same way. And I certainly don't think Kyrie's how he's treated everything since that. I don't think that would necessarily be the same I don't think anyone's really to blame uh, from everything I've heard. I don't think LeBron even has a lot of animosity towards Kyrie. It's a, it's I think a it, weird relationship sense. Kyrie hates talking about Cleveland. James is oh more, yeah. James is more comfortable dropping little tidbits here or there that people like to read into. Passive aggressive as hell. It, yeah, there's a big urgency by both of these guys just to stay away from the conflict that the media does try to draw up between these two. And it's interesting because the comparison you make is Shaq and Kobe, and there were no bars held there. But here, no. <laughs> here it seems like both of them are trying to avoid this conflict or aggression against each other. Like it, their lives depend on it. I think LeBron's just disappointed. I think he's always wanted to have someone to mentor, and uh, I think he recognizes that his approach um, contributed to Kyrie wanting to leave. Um, and it, it's funny, in his own passive-aggressive way, the way he has an Instagram post for every young player that accomplishes anything, I think that's his passive-aggressive way of trying to adopt the entire... Uh, <laughs> every young player in the league is being adopted by LeBron in some way to, to make up for it. No and post for Kevin Love, though. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Shout out to Kevin Love. God, I love that guy. Pun semi-intended. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it's... I mean, I, I don't have a lot of hard feelings towards Kyrie. Um, one of my frustrations with the Cleveland fan base is that I just feel that there's there's not a lot of goodwill for that 2016 team. It's like, and some of that is a product of LeBron. This is the third time in four years that he there's the possibility of him leaving. So there's a sense of urgency that's Everyone's always there. As hell as we talked about over the summer. 
I mean, Kevin Love is having the best offensive season of his career. He's putting up crazy numbers uh, in less minutes and on fewer touches than he had last season. Like, that's the crazy thing to me about Love is he's it's not him filling the void uh, that Kyrie left. He's actually getting fewer touches than last year and producing even more. He has one bad game and it's, oh, we got to trade Love. Oh, we got to trade Tristan Thompson. Oh, we got to trade Jr. And it's. It's uh, it, it's disappointing because it, it's guys that I think a lot of other uh, fan bases or at least um, if this was a different situation, uh, there there would be a little more affection for them. What do you think of Kyrie in Boston since you've probably gone to see a little bit of him playing here? The style is definitely different, different system. So he has approached the game a different way, and it seemed like that was a concerted effort. He tried to make coming into the season was playing better defense, playing within the flow of the game. We've seen him go off ball, which you didn't see all that often in Cleveland. Uh, it's right. it's been interesting to see him transform a little bit. He's fallen back on his old ways here and there. But it's been good. I'm not complaining all that much. He's changed quite a bit in his style, and it's suited the Celtics well. It's different from Isaiah even. I I really thought these guys were going to look very similar in how they approach the game with the Celtics, but it's been different. And you you talked about the other options the Cavaliers might have had. It's got to be a killer for the Cavs that he did end up in Boston, and he's going to be a core part of the competition going forward because he's just there's a lot of room for growth, clearly. And he he can be a force, as he has shown. And how do you feel I, about the Brooklyn pick as well now? Because that was the big thing for training them to Boston, is the fact that the best return was supposedly coming back. Right, right. Yeah, I, I was also, or at least hoping for, um, I, I wanted Kyrie to go to a good situation. I, I mean, he really helped out the fan base, and me as a fan, posted the decision, and um, obviously hit the shot to win the championship, and even though he's got all these weird things, he, I mean, I, I don't get as affected by him trash-talking Cleveland as the city, because I don't live there, and that's <laughs> not my connection. But, and I understand if people do, but I I always wanted the best for him. And to some extent, it was like after years and years and years of just trying to share. And what I I I mean, obviously, there's some bias, but what I thought was an objective opinion of Kyrie and saying he's on this growth, he's on this uh, path, this arc uh, of growth as a player and how good he can be. It was nice to see him get the opportunity to show it. Because even if he was this exact same player and got traded to Phoenix, that team's not going to be in the playoff picture. And the narrative would be, oh, Kyrie sucks. He can't win. He can't take a team to the playoffs. And for a Boston team that, I mean, look at their valuable contributors last year, like Avery Bradley, just such a tremendous player. Jay Crowder was playing at such a high level. Um, Like this Boston team has been so resilient, even dealing with injuries to Irving or or Horford. Like they just win. And um, he's really, in my opinion, he's the modern point guard because I don't believe that you can have a successful offense if you have a point guard that's generating like nine, 10 assists. I I, I think if one guy's creating for everybody, you become too easy to game plan against. Yeah. And that's the the MO of the Celtics. You have Irving on the ball. You have Smart on the ball, Roger, Horford. Even Tatum was showing off some flair for the passes last night. You saw him kicking it out to Horford. Everybody on this team can make a play almost. 
In a perfect world, I mean, I, th- I think you have like Kyrie, Hayward, and Horford all averaging around five or plus assists, and then a couple other guys at two or three. Um, I think that's how they take the next step and become dynamic as an offense because right now they're they're kind of middle of the pack. But yeah, it's it's great to see Kyrie play this way. Um, he played this way with Team USA as well, and I always thought it was funny because we really compliment players for listening to the coach and executing and doing what they're told um, when it's something that we want them to do. But like in Cleveland, when Kyrie was passing a lot, Tyron Lou very openly, and this was a, a point I brought up when he was in Cleveland and, and now you're seeing it now. He said, go out there and score pass less. Like we need <laughs> you with these lineups to be that offensive weapon. And um, I I think his absence has led to some growth for Cleveland because they can now no longer just rely on LeBron and Kyrie to create an isolation. They need to have that ball movement. And I think that's part of why Kevin Love is having so much success. Guys like Jeff Green are playing well um, because it's kind of plug and play that as long as you're playing with energy and effort, um, you're, you're going to get easier shots. And, and that was something they probably could have done in the past. Lack of depth certainly prevented that. But, yeah, I, I mean, Kyrie is playing great basketball, played great defense for the first 13, 14 games, and now he's like, okay, I, I, I showed I can do it. I showed I can do yeah. it. I'm <laughs> going to do it when it matters. Trust me, I'm going to do That's it when it matters, as I always have. Years. Yeah. He's going to save himself a little bit, and I mean, and they've tried it's, to save him as well. They've been keeping him at that twenty-eight to thirty-two minute mark, so that's factored into the numbers as well. And Matt Moore's pointed out that the numbers are down, the minutes are down as well. So that's yeah, the, look, look at look at the per thirty-six numbers. Like he's he's right up there. His efficiency is absolutely incredible. And as a Boston fan, like it must feel good to have a player where you're like, oh, there's going to be another gear. They're not playing 110% every time. We can and actually even count. Even last night you saw that. He, Irving was not the cornerstone of that game or the result or anything like that. He was just shifting his way through it. Trust me, you're you're going to absolutely love it in a year or two when this team is a legitimate contender and they save themselves a little bit. And you can say, hey, they weren't trying hey. tonight. <laughs> Instead of being the, the tryhards going 125% every night. Hopefully the back-to-backs are gone by then so we can ease that out a little bit as well. That'd so, be great. So speaking of back-to-backs, Isaiah didn't play because of that. We did get to see Isaiah against Portland. And this is my big sticking point with you because we've been going back and forth on this point for a little while. I think I'm putting my arms up. I'm putting my arms up. I surrender. <laughs> I think Isaiah is going to be the X factor to that team. I think he is going to be capable of getting back to where he was, playing on and off the ball, scoring within the flow of the system, within the flow of minutes. And that first game to my astonishment, was really the perfect embodiment of what I envisioned him being in Cleveland. He was in and out of the game, layering his minutes with LeBron, without LeBron, attacking the hoop, putting up shots at a high rate, and scoring at a high rate. He scored pretty much a point for every single minute he was in that game, and boy, (laughs) did it bode well for the Cavaliers. I mean, they were talking about not putting pressure on him to be a key factor in these games. I thought he was a key factor in that win against uh, Portland, the first game he played in over 220 days. 
Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's going to be a, a tremendously entertaining player, and I think he's going to be a very, I, I hope he's going to be a very good player, because even though I do have questions about how he'll play against the Warriors, there's no denying that he's just uh, an easy person to root for as a human being. Like, his, his story is incredible. Uh, his attitude is great. He's got a chip on his shoulder, which is incredibly endearing to fans. Uh, I, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, how, how, he, how he played against Portland was great. I think there's going to be an adjustment period for the Cavs once he's getting full-time minutes because he, he there's going to be a feeling out process. He's going to need to learn when he's going to get his shots. Um, I'm stealing an opinion from David Griffin in the podcast there, but he had an easier role against Portland coming off the bench where he just needed to pull and shoot every single time than he would initially as a starter because he's going to have to learn how to play off ball with LeBron. A lot of the same things that Kyrie went through, and there's going to be a feeling out process between those two. So some temporary regression might be expected. Uh, but once he gets rolling, I mean, it's 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 not Jose Calderon like yeah. <laughs> that's that that's going to that's going to be really really less. great. And I, I know we, we we've had disagreements because uh, obviously my bias is, is is part of this. But I I think even without Isaiah, the the Cavs would still be favored to make the finals out of the East. And when I say I don't think Isaiah really makes a huge difference against the Warriors, like if I'm being perfectly honest, I think if you combine the Cavs and Celtics, I think the Warriors would still be favored. Wow. Like that's that that is more about how how my, how great I think this team is, and I think you need breaks. I have some concerns with Isaiah. Um, when the trade went down, I went back and I watched every game that he played against the Warriors over the last three years, just kind of going over everything, looking how they defended him, and how they defended him was really similar to Kyrie, because the Warriors know that they can defend LeBron one-on-one. He's going to get his. But if they could take away the point guard, which whether it be Kyrie or Isaiah, and if they trap up top, um, that's going to make things very difficult. And Isaiah just he hasn't had a good game against the Warriors. Uh, the the length of length of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson really does impact him. He's not able to get to the free throw line, and that may change. I mean, having LeBron there, having Kevin Love there, um, obviously is going to change things. The way I view things is typically you need to show me before I buy into it. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to project my hopes and beliefs. I hope he can be tremendously effective. Um, I think for the most part, it's going to be a little similar to Kevin Love that if he's rolling offensively and if he's being productive against the Warriors, you go with it. But if that's a game where he's not playing well, he needs to have the mindset that it's okay for me to rest or or sit a little bit in this game while they go with what's working. Because Kevin Love has last year, he had some great games in the finals and he had some poor games. And he's kind of accepted that some nights it's just... They're exposing the match. I'm not getting it going, so I'm going to sit here, and I think Isaiah needs to have that same mindset. I've I've never really known Isaiah to be an inconsistent force. I'm going to be shocked if it does end up happening. I just think the guy is a born scorer. He has thrived scoring the ball in every single situation he's been in, good or bad. People underrate just how good he was in Sacramento in phoenix playing on the bench there scoring at a high rate we'll see what happens obviously but last year last year to be fair i mean his 
was the first time that he had really shown that he can really get it done offensively in the playoffs when when teams have really scouted it and they're really going against it. I mean, if you look at career effective field goal percentage, uh, his is actually lower in the playoffs than Kyle Lowry's, who who we criticize so much. And part of that is size. Part of that is. Um, like he was getting comfortable and it's such small sample size that obviously he can score. I, I mean, it, it's not by fluke that he was as good as he is, but as I said, I, I just, I respect the Warriors so much on both ends of the floor. And I really do think that their defense is just so tremendous that, um, it, it's, it, it's a concern of mine and, and it, 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 it almost feels like he, I, I guess the, the word that you would take an exception to was that he's almost irrelevant in some extent because yeah, that was he, he's going to make things, he's going to make it a lot easier for them to get to the finals. But I don't really believe he can make a difference against the Warriors one way or another, just because they are so far ahead of the rest of the league. I guess we're coming from those different backgrounds where I once again, think there could be a series between these two teams. And here's my big thing. We're going to talk about lineups between these two teams Very different lineups this year on both sides. On the Celtics side, you have two legit centers playing instead of one pseudo-center who I can't really move in Amir Johnson. (laughs) Shout out to Amir. I love him. Love him dearly. And boy, did he shoot that slow motion three very well. (laughs) Cleveland, however, we have seen them since that 2015 series, which I just wish I could throw into the trash when it comes to Brad Stevens' record, when it comes to Isaiah Thomas' record, as you saw, because that was a lottery team making the playoffs in Boston and then getting swept. The Cavaliers in that series were throwing Timothy Mozgov in there, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, just the deadliest front court when it came to size, when it came to physicality, and LeBron to boot, who is right up there as well. And that just gave the Celtics terrors. Then you go into the next year, still playing Thompson at a high level. That's giving... uh, Al Horford issues, as we've known, whether it was with Atlanta, whether it was with Boston. Now the Cavaliers are embracing small ball. You have Kevin Love at center. You have Jay Crowder and Jeff Green mixing in at the four. And then last night, I think we finally saw what I expected to see from Horford once the big guy was out of there. He thrived. He was making plays on the defensive end. He was knocking down. I'm so glad we're getting into this. I was really hoping this wouldn't wrap up before we got into Horford. Oh, of course, because that was Horford has never quite had a night like that against the Cavaliers. And oh yeah, he exploded. He exploded for 11 points and nine rebounds. (laughs) (laughs) It was a Horford kind of night. I um yeah it was and he was able to take advantage of Kevin Love in the past yeah, that's both the key Love right there when you isolate those two and Horford's able to win that battle I feel very good about that yeah and you should you you absolutely should because especially in the past like when Love was able to defend Horford and then Thompson's there for help or LeBron's there for help it it changes things because if you can negate Al Horford. Um, all of a sudden you're relying on Kyrie playing hero ball and two young guys in Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown who have been great, but over the course of a playoff series, you don't want them being number two and number three options, right? Um, Especially just because Horford does make everything easy. Maybe maybe Tatum. I I mean, dude gets buckets. I I, I love him for that. Um, But yeah, you're right. Obviously, love not being himself, uh, help things out. 
but it is interesting. And that was one of the notes that I, I kind of had in my three takeaways from the games is that Thompson still effectively negates Horford to some extent. Um, Thompson, in, it's been weird with Thompson this year. Is it a lineup thing that he's not playing as much? I know injuries have been a factor as well. What's the deal with him? Is he just being factored out by the new offense or is he just being? No, it's, it's, it, honestly, it's been him trying to work his way back. At the start of the year, he was hurt, and he was trying to play through an injury. He was trying to hide it from the team and media. Uh, it just progressively got worse. Eventually, they moved him back into the starting lineup, and like on the second night of back-to-backs early in the season, he, he would have one or no rebounds. Mm-hmm. And like it was clear that he just wasn't moving like himself, and then um, eventually he had the calf strain as well, as well as a, a more serious injury that um, he has said it hasn't been disclosed to the media um, and he's not going to talk about it. But yeah, he, I mean, now he's trying to get back into shape. He, he's trying to um, get his rhythm. Uh, he's obviously dealt with uh, the, the injuries to the point where he can play again. And he's looked better this last week. In the 10 minutes where Horford and Thompson shared the floor last night, Az actually had a plus one net rating. Horford took only one shot. He made the shot. He had one rebound, one assist, and a turnover. Here's my counter to that, though. Right after that happened, who comes in for Boston? Aaron Baines. And that's that's been a big thing with the Celtics this year is when opponents do go big. Baines has been a good counter to that. And they pushed a nice oh. little 0-6 stretch on the Cavs between the first and second quarter with Baines in there before he got hurt. Right. Well, my my point more so is that that he was still effective guarding Horford and limiting him, even though he still scored on his only bucket. Uh, the Cavs had a positive net rating uh, in the minutes where Horford was on the court without Thompson on the floor. Boston had a plus 16 net rating, and obviously he, he was very productive in those minutes. So I, I think Thompson is still a key to this series. If yeah, they the playoffs, um, his his health one way or another and how often he plays and what role he has in this rotation is really going to determine how, how this series looks. Cause that's that series. If it does happen, isn't going to look anything like last night. Um, Tatum, <laughs> Brown, Kyrie, LeBron, love. Um, all these guys are not going to play as poorly as they did last night. Offensively. Uh, I say Thomas is going to be in the series. It's just not going to look anything like that one way or another. I don't think uh, you'll have a Daniel Tice sidestep three either. <laughs> uh, I mean, Tice is nice. I, I, I don't want to get, <laughs> I don't want to rule it out. It's certainly possible. Um, but, yeah, I, I think against Boston, Thompson needs to play more just because Horford is such a talented player. And yeah. uh, I, I do still have questions. Um, one of the reasons I, I like making jokes about him is just because when you are building a team, um, it, it's tough when the, the two teams in your way, Horford hasn't necessarily been effective against. He, he's scored okay against the Warriors, but they haven't been good with Horford on the floor and Draymond. Um, and it's the same thing with Thompson and the Cavs. So that's that's kind of my my gripe with him. But overall, like he's a tremendous player. Like if you don't believe me, go back to the last few years, both with the Hawks and the Celtics. When I did my series previews, I I had always outlined Thompson has to be a key because if Horford is allowed to do what he does, you're going to have nights like last night where he he gets 
Horford really is the barometer of how the Celtics go. When he's looking smooth, comfortable, doing what he wants, the whole team is. And when he's just completely out of it, missing layups, uh, not doing anything, the team's just <laughs> completely out of whack. So that, that's why that's an important point for me too is can they be in those lineups where Horford's comfortable? And I think when you have the Celtics playing their small ball, when you have the Cavaliers playing their small ball, he's in his element. Of course, Thompson's injured. Marcus Morris on our side is, I don't know what is going on with him. Ah, uh, yes, had, uh, the LeBron stopper Marcus Morris. <laughs> well, he's hurt as well. He's, he's trying to come back yeah, with I his know. knee ailments. And last night he just looked like a disaster. They tried lining him up against LeBron in small ball lineups at the four. And LeBron stuffed him one play, uh, knocked it out of his hands another play. Jeff Green stuffed him, and then he was just pretty much out of the game for that night. My big Yeah, question, not a great game. Yeah, he... he <laughs> Bad, bad point out of that game in a game where pretty much everyone on the Celtics played good. My last question for you tonight, and I think this is going to be a key for these teams going forward. Do you anticipate the Cavaliers going after a big? Or is Thompson going to be the center plan going forward for them? Because I think if you put a Marcus All in there, this is over. And I, you're, I, looking, I, you're looking at a Warriors threat now, too. I yeah I know I'm I'm a huge Marcus All fan and as much as it would break my heart to to lose Tristan Thompson who through year one probably got me through the year more than Kyrie just because of the uh, Canadian connection there, um, God it, if Marcus All is available I I think you have to do it one of the things that got me so excited was um, I actually uh, on the Chase Down podcast we had Matt Moore on. And we're, I was talking about how I'd be willing to give up the Brooklyn pick for him, along with Thompson and salary filler. And Moore basically said, from in his belief, you would not need to include that Brooklyn pick. Um, it would be Thompson, Shumpert, and the Cavs' own pick. And, I, I mean, I would go as far as to move the Brooklyn pick just because I think that dramatically helps you against the Warriors. I think that um, that makes it difficult for them to go small ball, especially because... The Grizzlies. I think, I, think, I think that's an easier question. I think the harder question with that Brooklyn pick is: Would you do it for DeAndre Jordan? Say Gasol doesn't no. become available. No, no, no. DeAndre Jordan isn't playable against the Warriors because DeAndre Jordan is a better overall defensive player than uh, Tristan Thompson, but he doesn't have the mobility to go out there and switch on to Steph Curry. Um, and, and rim protection isn't what you need. Um, like the the Clippers have had to bench him in past, past playoff series, and um, they've been better with him off the floor defensively this season. Like he has regressed, and he has less time on his contract. So I, I don't think enough of a, an upgrade from Thompson, if he's an upgrade at all. Uh, from a healthy Tristan Thompson in terms of fit with this team uh, to to warrant moving assets, period. For, forget yeah. the Brooklyn pick. <laughs> All right, so no Jordan whatsoever. Gasol is a yes, an easy yes. But what we've taken away from today, I feel like, is that all the Cavaliers' moves are going to be geared toward beating the Warriors rather than worrying about the East. Celtics, not a threat yet. We'll see on that front. We'll see where this rivalry goes toward February 11th. Which is which could be a game that means something. No, no one want to say that this game meant anything the other day. Maybe this one will mean something this time when it's all said and done. That's Justin we'll Rowan giving us some perspective on the Cavs as a uh, special guest here today on the Banners broadcast. You can follow him at CavsNetta, and you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, and read all our good stuff 
over at CelticsBlog.com, FearTheSword.com. That's our show for today, number 21. We'll see you next week back here with Jeff Clark coming back from vacation. Thanks, Justin. No problem. Thanks again for having me. Some haters of Shane Larkin out there. Check this out. Check out this tweet right here we're going to get to. You see at the top, Bobby Manning says, Shane Larkin, a game of minus 13, wouldn't go back to him in the second half. Who responds after the game? 11-19 timestamp, plus 13 second half. Keep the faith, Wait, fella. Wait, he doesn't tag Shane Larkin, though, so how does Shane Larkin oh, see Oh, why you got to do that, Chris? I'm why you got to do that? I, I don't know. does he see it? Does he search his Maybe his boys or something. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm Maybe not, he knows I'm him. not putting know. Shane out there Hey, like Shane that. was on the floor when the Celtics yeah. made that run on the floor, so give him credit for that. Exactly, exactly. Lay off Shane Larkin. All right.